Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Hey, before we get started with the episode, please check out a few of my affiliates and sponsors. It's the best way to support the podcast outside of listening to it. Get ready for an awesome episode. Thank you, everyone. Hemp has been cultivated for medical use for centuries. Green Compass is a North Carolina-based, family-founded, and one of the few certified USDA organic hemp companies. Their sixth-generation USDA-certified organic farmland Seasoned with longtime agricultural enthusiasts, serves as the perfect home to grow 100% organic hemp. You can access more information about how CBD can help you and order Green Compass products through my referral link, which is in the show notes. Green Compass offers a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll receive $10 off your first order. All right, Jessica, we're back for part two. Part two. We had a great first conversation. How you been? <laughs> yeah, I've been very good. I was kind of looking forward for this conversation again. I know we had to reschedule a few times, yeah. but everything happens on the right timing. So For sure. Yeah. Actually, since we last talked, I guess there was the very big uh, psychedelic conference out here in Colorado where I live now. Yeah. Uh, I did yeah, not go, true. but I was moving right when it was happening. Did you attend that or how did that go? Uh, I didn't go. For me, this was quite unaffordable, actually, to oh, come see. out of the way from the Netherlands uh, to go to the MAPS conference, like the flights yeah. and accommodation. For uh, sure. Yeah, it's, it, it was a little bit difficult. Uh, so I hope the next one I can attend. <laughs> so uh, did, were you able to talk to some colleagues, people about their experiences there? And if so, I'd love to hear a little bit about maybe your takeaway from their experiences or just people you've chatted with about it. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. We did have a few women from our team on Women on Psychedelics who could attend the conference because they are based in the, in the U.S. or in Canada, so that, that was much easier Great. for them. And the overall impression from their experience, um, it was that it was very emotional because mm. it was a really long time that a conference in this scale less happened and also the timing history that we are right now to actually have all these people gathering all these people that are really passionate about you know this work and bringing psychedelics into the world um so i think yeah i really wish i could have been there in the other hand like i do have yeah this um yeah concerns in terms of like what they really did uh yeah, related to accessibility and who were the people that were actually there. I did hear a few things regarding uh, indigenous representat representation mm -hmm. and of people of color as well. You know, the same things we same hear things, over yeah. and over again, <laughs> which is a little bit um, frustrating, but not a surprise. Um, but I think like in any case, uh, I really appreciate the efforts of MAPS on bringing all these people together and people flying from all over the world to yeah. be there. And I think this by itself, like is the start of like a really big change that can happen within the next few years. A lot has changed in the last couple of years, right, yeah. right already. So I'm really curious to see 
yeah, what fruits and what connections arise during the conference that are going to bring up, yeah, good things for the psychedelic space. Yeah, I, you know, I know so many people who were who were there. I wish I could have gone. I was just, I was literally moving from Washington. I remember State, that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was literally got here and it was just starting, and I was like, man, I just when you move, it's crazy. You know, it's just you have so much going on. It's so exhausting, but. Um, hopefully next year I would love to, if it's, I mean, I think they're based out here maps. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> nice to, for me, I, I'm a big networking person. I just like meeting people. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not in the space. Um, but I, th I, I'm curious about the space. And so I think my first question here is kind of, since we've last spoke, what has changed? Has any of your outlooks or ideas about the the industry changed since our last conversation? Mm, yeah, I would say regarding a few things, but also re uh, this is very much related to my own personal professional mm -hmm. path in this space. Uh, I'm currently in a period uh, of my career that I'm starting to set up retreats here in the Netherlands. Okay. And it has been a very interesting time concerning that because we had Synthesis Institute Remember the last time we, we spoke were talking about, about synthesis and some yeah. big changes, right? Yeah, exactly. So they kind of bankrupt, yeah. and now there there were a lot of different organizations popping up around here, uh, bringing you know psilocybin retreats, and it has been interesting to see like how Beckley Institute has brought up their high end retreats towards the Netherlands as well, uh, which are incredible it seem, they seem to be like incredibly uh well thought but they are also quite pricey <laughs> yeah yeah so it's i feel like in in that sense i didn't see uh that much of a shift uh concerning the psychedelic space around here but i feel in general like the same way that now i'm launching retreats with dr wandrea pennington uh, yeah, like yeah. the first retreats led by women of color in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. I do see that there are other places in and other, you know, people that are bringing up some things, but like it has been quite slow, uh, to be honest, to see the differences between when we spoke earlier this year yeah. up until now. Yeah. So it seems like retreats are becoming a bigger thing within yeah. the space like why why do you think it's that is seems to be a big growing space um, it is it is still the most accessible model that we have you know in order for people to have this type of ex experience in a safe and legal context yeah. with you know professional and qualified guides and therapists and having access to uh, the medicine whatever medicine the person chooses yeah. to take in a way that is, you know, carefully, um, oh, how do I say, uh, chosen and picked from the environment in an ethical way. Yeah. And, you know, like the medical model, even here in, the, in Europe, they are starting to look up in what ways they can, you know, roll this out with psilocybin, MDMA or ketamine. But it is still quite expensive and not everybody will fall into the category of like, trying to access these medicines because they have a mental health condition. Yeah. A lot of people are also looking to have access to psychedelics uh, for self-development or personal transformation. And the retreat model really 
brings that up to people in a much easier way. There's more flexibility in terms of dates. There's a, it's a easier um, way of like being screened to take part on, on, on this type of experience. And there's a lot of good offers out there uh, in different parts of the world, like Costa Rica, Guatemala, like places that are actually quite better weather than here, for example, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to go to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, so like even in my experience as well, like uh, having the chance to attend a retreat uh, is something really special because I do think there is a big healing aspect uh, of the psychedelic experience that only happens when you take it in a group context or in a more communal way. So yeah. the retreats, they really give people that. They really give the chance for you to be there with others that at times they are completely different from you. And other times you're going to find the similarities between each, you know, each person that is there. And you're going to find medicine in everyone that, who is there. It's interesting that even sometimes it plays out certain family dynamics that, yeah. and triggers that you can find in the retreat context. So I find that by itself, uh, is, it is quite healing and it has quite a huge impact uh, into the lives of the people that have the chance to attend to an experience like that. So I'm curious, as I mean, as someone who's I'm not in the uh, space, as I mentioned before, I'm curious, like, what's the viability financially for someone to be in this space to make this their living mm, so like for people like me sure yeah uh yeah so um it really depends of how i feel like it's your level of experience with working with the medicine your level of like how much uh, mentorship you got how Often, did you have the ch the chance to sit for other people? What are the connections in your network uh, that will allow you, you know, to get into a certain um, stage in this career? I noticed that for me, for example, like the collaborations and the people that I have worked with are one of the main reasons why I am where I am today. It's not something that I that I actually got here by myself but at the same time uh i see how difficult it is for me even in the country in which the truffles psilocybin truffles which are the medicine i work with they are legal here right. it's still quite difficult uh to make a full-time job out of this and this right. is also why i do part of, like part of my work is also the educational work but it's mostly because at times you do have uh, if you are in the retreat line and you start to organize retreats quite regularly and they sell out, then you're you're good. But if you're working with private clients, it really depends on the stream of people that are coming here. And yeah, it kind of feel like we talked about it the last time. It kind of feel it's a bit like a freelancing job. So yeah. I find we are not at the stage yet in which I could say this is something that everyone could quit their job and try and they will definitely make a living out of it. I think for people who already have a good amount of money to invest in a project or in a retreat venue or anything like that, uh, then it's different. But if you want to start from scratch and you want to, you know, get some training and try to become, have a different set of skills to be yeah. a guide, uh, then it's kind of like a long uh 
bumpy road. Yeah. Now we did yeah. talk about it, and I thought, man, I wanted to extend on that conversation because um, there is a lot of people. I think they they want they have such a passionate feeling about the medicine mm -hmm. substance, and they want to make this their job. Mm -hmm. And I and I just wonder, just on the outside looking in, is like, okay, how is that feasible? And what are what's the situation with companies, maybe like a Mind Bloom and things like that, that have like people work for them? And they're yeah. integration therapists and stuff. And again, I don't know much about it, but there seems to be companies that they hire people to work in these spaces. What's the viability of those companies? And what's the future? And how, in terms of how would this become a full-time job for a lot of people hmm. in the future? What needs to happen for that to happen? Mm. You know? Oh, that's an excellent question. And I do have like some bit strong opinions uh when it comes to that because right now like if you pick the job of like an integration uh, integration therapist or coach uh being paid by companies like mind bloom or others uh they're not very well paid mm. like the conditions even you know for people who offer uh, one hour therapy or a 30 hour therapy online like the rates that they get per hour are quite low Right. for the work that they do right now also even if you pick like in the context of people who work in the amazon jungle on retreats and they need to be there on call 24 7 they need to be basically live there right oh, i see and dedicate their lives to the work oftentimes they it's also not um the compensation is not as much as you think it would be mm. uh for a path that i feel at times it really gets uh quite mingled with you know your personal life you really walk the talk yeah when you are working yeah with psychedelics in that way so i see that you know in certain with cer some of these big companies or some of these big retreats there is still not so much of like bringing the value to the people who are there uh directly uh working with the people directly working yeah. with the medicine and directly working on themselves. And I find, yeah, yeah, that's, I don't know how long it's going to take for that to change in this industry uh, because I still feel like there's a really big capitalistic mindset uh, that they are hiring people and they want to, you know, tickle this amount of patients per hour uh, or per day in, yeah. on calls, but not really giving the proper value to the person who took many years of studying that or like who took many years of having experience uh, with these medicines or even in their own inner work. So I, yeah, I don't see this as something that uh, is the ideal scenario right now. And that's the that's why you can also see there are many cases, not often spoke about, of people that have emotional burnout, uh, guides that have emotional burnout. Uh, because, yeah, especially if they work and live in retreats in South America, it's really something that you just cannot pick yourself and get yourself out of that context. Yeah. And, you know, go home after spending the whole day at the office. Yeah. But now you're immersed on that experience uh, all the time. So hmm. I think we need to actually bring, and this will sound, yeah, 
a bit ironic because I think that's in general in, uh, when it comes to mental health, people that work with mental health is try to uh, look a little bit deeper in the mental health of people who are working with mental health and how can you support yeah. <laughs> the mental health of mental health providers the and it's the same thing providers. yeah yeah it's the same thing in the psychedelic space unfortunately um and yeah i don't yeah i don't it's not different here so yeah, yeah. it's interesting that you're in a place where it's you know, you have a legal aspect to it and there's still a struggle, which mm -hmm. I think is a good reminder, especially in the United States, where there's a push to try to get that more nationally. You have it yeah. in very few pa places, but that even though, even if it did become uh, more legal on a wide scale, it would still be hard. Yeah, exactly. It might still be hard, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's also like, Again, it's still a very recent field. It's the first time that, kind of like first time that we are all doing yeah, this. Right. And we're kind of all learning on the go. <laughs> but I find like it's really impressive, like even though we can daydream and think like, okay, this is a space where people are more conscious and we want to bring more consciousness to the world. Yeah. We are still repeating <laughs> very often <laughs> the same mistakes as, you know, the whole rest of our system. So, yeah. 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 It's interesting, like, I think of, like, um, in any industry, you have people are very passionate about what they do. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm watching this very closely because I think, like, when something is in its infancy, uh, it's great. You have a pioneering aspect to it, right? It's the pioneers of something, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes mm -hmm. when you're a pioneer of something. What are the biggest mistakes in this pioneering adventure that you see that are happening? Um, I think definitely direction is more important than speed. And mm. this is also something that is, uh, this is the first mistake I would say that I see happening in so, in many different ways, right? Like one is like really, if you have a company in the space, not trying to make it grow super fast or have the biggest amount of profit, but really look from it step by step and how can you uh, guarantee that uh, every step of what you are building and with whom you are building is healthy and sustainable and it really embodies the values of, you know, the medicine that you are trying to work with and what you are trying to bring to the world. This would be like one thing that I would say is like um, major. And this is also why one of the reasons why we see so many companies that already popped up in these last years and they already fail to work yeah. because this is not the, the mindset uh, that was behind it. So that would be one thing. Mm, if I think about other mistakes is also uh, the exploitation of these mm. medicines and uh, not only in terms of like, yeah, natural resources. Uh, but also like where are they coming from and from who are they coming from, where these traditions come from. I feel like I, I am being a bit repetitive on saying that, but we need repetition because of course. It's, still, it's still not heard. Of course. So yeah. I see that also like uh, when it comes to, uh, for example, if you think about 5-MeO-DMT mm -hmm. and people using uh, the substance coming from the toad 
or if they have the option of using the substance coming from, you know, synthetic means. Synthetic, yeah. Yeah. And that would sound like, that would sound like a much more reasonable <laughs> choice uh, for the intentions and also for the earth who is giving us, you know, these medicines. But sometimes people still choose to go for the toad. Right. Even though they know like the natural, like the huge impact that this is having on that, uh, the community of those, uh, that species. So I think like, yeah, that would be uh, probably the second thing that I would say it's a mistake because we have done that before. We have done yeah. that with so many different things. If you, I can pick even like a, quite an interesting example. If you pick the case of cocaine, which originally comes from coca leaves and how this plant was a medicine itself for the people of that land for so many years and how much that medicine was, you know, uh, exploited and destroyed and transformed to become something that nowadays is so problematic uh, in so many different, you know, levels of social impact of like, yeah, yeah, exploiting nature and loss of the community that is in there. This is something that I, it happened to coca leaves, but I don't see how it cannot happen to psilocybin or to ayahuasca. The way we relate to these medicines and the, the way, you know, we take them from the earth, what we do with them, how we scale them. Oh, it's, it really, yeah. it's really important. Otherwise, we are just repeating the same the same cycle, and then all the sacredness that is behind it becomes, you know, it, it's lost. So that would be, yeah, probably the second thing that I would say. It's one thing we need to pay really good attention to because, yeah, yeah, it hasn't in this past years. It has been uh, a bit worry. How is that happening? as well right i want to um kind of go back to the conference element of what we were talking mm-hmm. about because obviously this is pretty fresh it was just just happened and um relatively recently and uh again i'm not aware of like all the conferences i know about this big one but what what are the other opportunities people have to go to conferences like this not just a huge one like the maps conference but what else is available mm-hmm. and what should be the goal of these types of conferences in the psychedelic space? Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have the Insights conference coming up, I think, and I think it's this month or September in Berlin, Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not attending to it. It's also quite expensive again, and it's really focused uh, mostly on yeah, psychedelic science and people that work, you know, in research and all of that. Yeah. Um, there's also the ICPR next year. The breaking convention in the UK just happened as well. And this, I didn't attend, but this was one of the ones that I would definitely recommend to people because it's not just about psychedelic science. It's really bringing like the medicine people, mysticism and all the other beautiful things that like kind of go together with yeah. Yeah, what we're talking about. So I think, yeah, just... In, yeah, in my personal opinion, then, like, if you are not a person who works in research or who's not just interested, you know, in the scientific aspects of things, I would then recommend conferences like Breaking Convention. 
I do think the MAPS conference also had conversations like that that were, you know, more broad. Yeah. But all the other conferences that I see around here, they're really focused. Yeah. They have a certain language and they are for a certain public. And uh, I do see efforts in, in some of them to bring different lenses. Uh, but I'm also, it's really curious to see what are, what are the barriers in there. We cannot leave so much, uh, you know, science, otherwise it's not scientific anymore. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, this would be some of the ones that I would recommend. Okay. You know, it's interesting. I think you were talking about like, uh, the cost of these things and, um, and the fitness industry, we had one of our huge conferences idea, um, recently in LA in Los Angeles. And in a committee I was on, we had discussed about how we think that a lot of these conferences in our industry, but it sounds like yours too, is that the, uh, we're actually hurting the access of people coming by making mm-hmm. it too expensive. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of the machine of these things. It's like, well, does it have to be that expensive? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, is, is the expense high because of the production of the event Oh, how much are you paying speakers? Are you, if you're getting very large personalities, big time people, are they demanding large payment to be at these things? I, I don't know. These are just questions I have. But I think mm-hmm. if you want to have a larger movement, you have to make the pricing commensurate with what people are able to afford in the field who are actually working in it on a regular I, basis. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And at least, um, and I've seen some organizations doing that and I really liked it. It's like providing a breakdown of okay. the costs and why things, you know, why the ticket cost has that price. Right. Or what, how much it takes to build a conference like this. I've recently saw that uh, it's not a conference, but it, it is also a big uh, event that just happened i came back from boom festival in portugal and they literally do a breakdown of everything like how much takes to build their stages how much takes to have like their compost toilets how much takes to bring the people there uh the djs and all of that how much it takes you know the drink that you're paying you're paying that price because part of that money goes to this and the other part is the profit that you make so if people have more clarity in these things i think uh that also helps us understand where the money is going where it's coming from do i invest my money on it and what are the ways that we can sometimes create different tiers of pricing so that the people that have more Mm -hmm. money they can pay a little bit more and then this gives uh the chance for somebody who has less money to go on a scholarship i've seen retreats here doing this uh like the qme retreats and i find that's incredible model because it really allows people that wouldn't you know, by other means, have the opportunity to be there uh, to at least, you know, have the chance to attend because there's still the travel costs, the accommodation and of all course. of that. So, of course. yeah, it's unfortunately, yeah, it's not for everybody. And I don't know, yeah, how how can that change anytime soon? But there are ways and there are models. There are ways. In, yeah. So yeah. I, think I have some solutions. I think one of the biggest problems with most conferences, not just in my industry, is that there's too many speakers at these big conferences. And if you're mm-hmm. going to pay speakers to be at things, there's a, that's essentially like payroll. I think yeah. you, the content needs to be condensed into stuff that really matters that people want versus just giving so many different options mm-hmm. for people. I compare it to going to a restaurant. 
Like if I go to a restaurant and the menu is too big, I'm just not gonna got I'm not I've got I'm probably gonna get the same thing most of the time mm -hmm. because I know what I like. So <laughs> I think there's just often in conferences way too many options. And yeah. you need to cut down on the options, save your money in other places, have more connecting events that get people together. Mm -hmm. And because uh, yeah. most people go to conferences and stuff just to meet each other and to network yeah. and chat with people. So spend your time on that and less time getting the biggest speakers, the biggest so-and-so there and stuff. I know that there's a value in that, but if it's cost prohibitive, then people just can't come and stuff, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. so I think sometimes you got to hurt yourself a little bit in order to mm -hmm. make progress. And I think mm -hmm. that's the, that that's just, these are just my suggestions. Doesn't mean they're right. I just think I see it like a lot of my colleagues, when they go to conferences, they don't even go to most of the presentations. They just go to meet people. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, that's a networking event. It doesn't have to have all the pomp and circumstance. If that's the case, maybe totally different in the psychedelic space, but a lot no, of conferences operate sense. similarly though. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I would even add to that, like it's, uh, it's tiring to see the same big names all over yes. and over again in all conferences. Like, yes. Uh, repeating pretty much the same things. The it's same much thing. better to give <laughs> yeah. voice to those who are not in every conference but are doing some pretty cool work. And you get to know them if you give them the chance to be their speakers. Uh, there are some conferences and some summits in the US that they do that in the plant medicine space. And I think that's amazing. You can even like, uh, they even give the chance to try to diversify the board of speakers a little bit more because otherwise it's just the same wide same people <laughs> men and women that are always there so i think yeah definitely there are ways it's just like is there intention to do in that way so yeah this is something that the psychedelic space can explore a little bit more of it <laughs> yeah i'm all about like solutions and stuff man it's great to talk about it but it's like hey how about try this how how about do that like I know one of the things we're working on is like more ambassadorship. So in all the different states, let's have a few ambassadors in each state for mm -hmm. fitness, health and wellness and these organizations. Again, I don't know how it works with psychedelics, but like you got to unite the team. Yeah. And 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 obviously this is a pretty global thing uh, with it. But I, mm -hmm. I'm a big conference breakdown person. Like, tell me what the value of this is. Everything's a value proposition. Mm -hmm. for yeah, it. And true. what's the value of someone spending a lot of money to go to something to, you know, that honestly, it's going to break, it's going to break you personally. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what, and maybe even it's not even that good in terms of the actual content, but it's great to meet people. All right, we'll just change how it is then. Don't make it, you know, it doesn't have to be gigantic. You know, you don't have to rent the entire convention center for something, yeah. you know, like make it better. I'm all about making stuff better, you know? Yeah, less is more. <laughs> less is always more to me. But, uh, you know, it's always a volume game. You know, this the whole thing. It's the scalability of things. How can we scale this? How can, I see that in the psychedelic space. How can we scale it? How can we make it bigger? How could these companies get in? But there's, there should be restraint in growth. I think. Hmm. <laughs> oh, well, that's a thought that I have for everything else in this system. <laughs> Just like why, yeah, things are not, things are collapsing and like things are not working out uh, anymore the way that they used to because uh, forever growth is just yeah. not something that uh, is meant to be happening. 
especially when it comes to resources or like I don't know people working uh, nonstop like trying to get somewhere yeah like, I, I, I this is like it's one of the ingrained values that we have in our society sure. that really doesn't make sense but it's I really on the, yeah on the heads of people and we are, we are repeating that uh, in this space as well in yeah interesting ways <laughs> yeah it's true so I wonder like if you could uh, make everything how you wanted it to be in the psychedelic space for the future of psychedelics, what would that be? Oh, wow, that's such a big question. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. Uh, I would um, for sure give more opportunities of learning uh, and connecting and finding uh, the elderly and the people that work with different medicines for many, many years and giving them recognition and, you know, giving them the space to give mentorship mm. so that we learn, yeah, not only how to do this work, but like uh, how to do this work in a conscious way and I would also like try to imagine a space in which people would have more awareness uh, regarding where their medicine comes from, uh, why also why they are actually doing that work. Is it coming from a place of like, I really want to bring this to the world because I believe this is something that can be really positive to the world or is it coming from a different place? Um, I feel as well like slow is better. So in my ideal view of how the psychedelic space would grow, it would be slower, <laughs> yeah, more mindful not focus on profit because I don't think it's an industry that is made to give profit uh, mm. to people. And yeah, more focus on the well-being uh, right. overall. So, yeah. What about... That doesn't fully answer the question no, because no, it's a big layers. one, but like, <laughs> there's so there's, many layers. <laughs> there's layers to it. And I actually yeah. started thinking, like as you started trailing off at the end, how would you... What would be your ideal way to approach legalization of it in different countries? Mm. Oh, that's a such another very interesting question. <laughs> uh, like, I my thoughts on that keep changing. Uh, I just mentioned to you I returned last week from Portugal from Boom Festival, and Portugal is a country in which they have the decriminalization of all drugs since many many years now. Yeah, and. Not the legalization, but just the decriminalization and being there in uh, in this context that I could be in a festival in which you are not afraid to take drugs in public. They do provide harm reduction services of like checking your drugs yeah. and psychological, yeah, psych care for people that are having, having challenging trips. Um, that was so profound uh, to experience. Uh, and to be in a country in which you have 
that freedom of like choosing to explore your consciousness and not feeling like you're going to be punished for it. So I feel like that if you pick Portugal and that example of decriminalization of drugs, this is one good way that I would say to start. In terms of legalization, we don't have that many examples, but this is a good example. And also how they did that from the beginning uh, to actually help reduce, you know, the amount of people that were taking heroin and other harder drugs. And it had a huge impact in the in their society and in the well-being of their people in general that I it always like I come back from this trip now and I'm back in the Netherlands and I'm like why is this not happening here yeah yeah that's right <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me like the even the government and like they could actually profit from it in other ways if that's the goal right yeah. but like people would have more safe access to all things it could have a return on investment to the government uh for the cities but yeah i yeah yeah it still breaks my head a little bit on why it's not like that yeah this is an interesting frontier we're tackling Mm -hmm. because even in America, there's places of like decriminalization, but probably not a lot of harm reduction programs or different programs put together to help coincide with that. It's like, well, we're just not going to, we're not going to prosecute this stuff. That's just kind mm-hmm. of where we're at. There's no programs associated with, and those are usually very bad, pro, bad ways of going about it. Cause then it's just a free for all type yeah, of thing. Yeah. That um, doesn't work either. Right. It doesn't like- work. You need to have an actual yeah plan. So like really harm reduction services, I think, and education, ongoing educational of yeah. responsible use overall is like, these are pillars. If you want to have, you know, yeah, drugs decriminalized or legalized one day and that yeah. people know what they're taking, how they're taking, what's safe, what's not. It needs to be alongside those pillars. Yeah. Most definitely. And you know, it's an interesting question about freedom or a commentary about freedom, because on one hand, you may have some people who are all about freedom or body autonomy, but mm. then don't want people taking psychedelics or different drugs. Well, mm. like, wait a minute, how, how is that a freedom conversation then? Oh, of, that's a good, you like know, a, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a conversation of psychedelic exceptionalism as well. Exceptionalism, so, yes. Yeah, thinking yeah, psychedelics are better than all the other drugs. Uh, so I tend to not do uh, that comparison so much. I think drugs are drugs. Yeah. Point. Uh, some drugs give you certain things, other drugs give you different things. The way you relate to the drug, that's what matters. What is your intention right. while you're taking it? What do you want to get from it and yeah. how yeah how balanced that is so i then i don't separate like these are good these are bad because psychedelics can also be used in an abusive way and they can also be pretty bad like they can be like quite tricky if you don't know what you're doing yeah. when you're taking them so the separation also i don't think it's very helpful for what we're trying to do here in terms of like bringing that freedom yeah. uh, into like how I 
what I give to my body and how I give this to my body, because then you are again putting things in different boxes and you are marginalizing and like putting in, you know, in a lower position, people that are taking drugs that you don't think are good, but then you are isolating people again and you are perpetuating the same harms that have yeah. been happening for many years. So I think there's a tricky uh, perspective that I saw a lot of people in the psychedelic space having as well of like, these are better, these are the only things that expand our yeah. consciousness, which I don't think uh, sure. is the case. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a juicy well, it's conversation. A, it's a very juicy, you know how, this is how this goes, you know, we're going to have a very interesting and, you know, I always think that um, expansion of consciousness is an interesting conversation because I feel like I don't know this to be true. It's just an observation that there's sometimes there's forces at play that just don't want other people to experience enlightenment on some level. Mm. Mm. And that when people, for lack of a better word, wake up to their own reality in a more loving, kind, warm way, some people don't like that, that that's happening to other people. Yeah. And I don't think we talk about that part too. There's some forces that are against that. Yeah. yeah, there are many different forces. Like, yeah, some are in positions of power, but others right. are also within each one of us, I think. Yeah. And the way we view ourselves in comparison to others. Mm. So I do think like, yeah, we all have a little bit of that. Mm, uh, that's juicy. But... <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal when you don't want to wake up to yourself? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Also, like, uh, I think also in all of this, uh, it's still it's still a mirror, right? Like the way, yeah, yeah we want to impose or like not allow certain experiences and certain things to happen to other people. Yeah. It's telling also a lot about us and yes. what are our values, what are our beliefs, and what are our complex I don't know of superiority or inferiority at yeah. times. So that's another big broad topic <laughs> huge because i feel like a lot of people who are very against psychedelics are against the transformation element of it they're scared of becoming someone else and i get that i totally get that it's like well what's on the other side of this for me mm, because yeah. i i know for myself i i feel like psychedelics is one of the bigger things in life that there's like a you before and you after type mm. of thing and mm -hmm. a lot of stuff is not like that. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. it was just a day or whatever. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. just kind of a moment. And psychedelics is definitely like a, a pre and post thing going on. Yeah. I mean, you could slide back into the pre thing too, but it's just kind of like, I think people will get really scared of like, well, how, how will people relate to this maybe altered carbon version of me? And yeah. that I am relating to a lot of things differently than I used to. And there's fear of rejection of this person you're becoming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then it's also like, yeah, I have that happens to so many clients that come to me for private sessions as well of like, oh, am I going to be different after? Yeah. Am I not going to like my wife anymore or right, something right, like that? Right. But I think it's interesting uh, to observe what is yeah the actual fear and i think you touched yeah. very well like, what in is that. that why do you think yeah. you wouldn't like your wife anymore you know it's like what is there's something else there like, there's something there's always something else and the yeah. fear there's always a, a lot of message behind the fear 
And yes. if, you, if you keep asking the fear, what's really telling you, there are so many layers that you can unpeel from it. Uh, and one that you touched now uh, when you talked is the fear of rejection, for example. And I think like that's a very valid, natural fear. Yes. The fear of change. That's a fear we all have. But there's so much on the other side of change. Yes. And there's also a part of you that is pulling you to that. So you're you're not stuck on the sameness because the yeah. sameness is not bringing you what you want and then you know yeah. there is something more. Um so I think like in overall when it comes to psychedelics there is a lot of fear still. Uh and most of the fear also comes from uh, different propaganda we had in the past yeah. or a lack of education or lack of knowledge of people of really knowing like uh, what the substances are and yeah. honestly they are not gonna show you anything new and they're not gonna show you you know they might bring light and a lens to parts of you and to watch who, what and who you actually are yeah. Rather than what and who you are not. So I think at times the fear might be to step into that version yeah. of you or like uh, after you you know that like when people work with psychedelics for an extended yeah. period and with integration, there is a change, but you see that changes happens because you are peeling off the layers of everything that made you the person yeah. that you are actually not like you are picking yeah. up all the stuff that are um, stopping you from seeing your true essence all the yeah. conditioning all the fears and all the things that like make your mirror a little bit blurry <laughs> yeah so the all stuff of this armor feel... you put on throughout the years Exactly. Tried to you that you may maybe you put it on other people put it on you it's like all right let's just dig down to the 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 core of this you the know and that's scary like, yes I mean, I, that's fucking scary i, I totally agree <laughs> <laughs> i totally i totally agree i mean people like comfort right humans love comfort this mm -hmm. kind of inertia of comfort is very tied into our human condition mm -hmm. and to take the leap to um put something into motion yeah is very exactly. difficult i mean people like if you like i just i was just telling you i just moved if you, mm -hmm. a lot of people want to move, but they don't want to actually move, like to do the work <laughs> to move, right? This is like this desire to move and experience something new, but the work part is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So I think that's the work part and having less control of things is, you know, people like to control their environment. But do they really? Yeah. Interest, <laughs> okay. Is okay. It's maybe letting go of the idea that you actually have control over something. That's because true. that's also an illusion that we really like to hold on into. And mm. I think uh, psychedelic work has a lot of like letting go. <laughs> There's a lot of, of letting that. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, be like my I have like a group of three or four friends who are really tight. And three of us have had ceremony together and we've just, it's been amazing. And our, one of our friends, he is just like very hesitant to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think he, he just, I think he's scared about what's the other side of this thing, you know, and like, and uh, that I, I just see that with some people. It's like, 
all, you know, they, there's this control aspect of it. Like I want to control all aspects of my, some people control, people control different versions, whether it's finances, people that are around the schools you go to. And some people just want to have ultimate say on everything. They want to be the boss of everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think you find yourself when you lose yourself. In many ways, oh, yeah. for sure. And the more control you put into things, the less freedom you actually have over things, ooh, <laughs> which is ironic. Oh, <laughs> that's now that's something, right? <laughs> well, uh, talking from the perspective of a person who has suffered with anxiety for many years, mm-hmm. and like as in the past in my life, how much I try to crazily control everything around me, and like it's. It's so crazy that that would just spiral my anxiety even more because I wouldn't be able to control things and outcomes the way I wanted to. So, yeah, the less you try and the more you embrace the unknown, you embrace what is and you embrace the whatever might come in life, the more you actually, yeah, are free in your life. That's been an issue for me. I still struggle with that. Even after psychedelics, it's like... It's like kind of a, it's always been like a thing for me, but I actively definitely try to work on it and different things that I do, but it's very difficult to release yourself of that. Even after having several trips and integrating, you know, life is, uh, life is always coming at you. Mm-hmm. Like life is not taking breaks ever. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm coming at you every day, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. But you know, one thing that I learned as well is maybe sometimes it's not just it's not about releasing and not being that way anymore, but just relating to it yeah. in a different way. That's right. So, yeah, yeah if you're, uh, you don't need to fully let go of your relationship with control, but you can be more curious about it and you can try mm. to understand, oh, what is this? Where is this actually coming from? Yeah. And can I make yeah. it a little bit more softer and a little bit nicer for myself? Yeah. Or is this coming from a place of fear? And let me understand right. that fear. So, it's really after years of working with psychedelics, I see that not uh, necessarily all these negative aspects or traits of me have changed, but more that my way of relating to them has changed. Yeah. And therefore, my way of relating to myself uh, has changed as well. And I yeah. think that's the medicine too. Fantastic. Man, I, I knew this was going to be good. It was so awesome last time we talked. Yes, I know. <laughs> and uh, I just like going there. And you're a very easy person to go there with on these things, Jessica. Thanks oh, so much. Thank for, you so uh, much. <laughs> really, yeah, thank you're you. You're wonderful. Seriously, you're you just too. very easy. Thank you. Yeah, we have a good flow. I'm like, I feel like we can talk for a really long time. And it yeah, yeah. Even feel like it passed already 15 minutes. Oh my god. I know. <laughs> it just kind of happens, right? It's just like <laughs> get in the zone, and all of a sudden, yeah. it's like all these questions here, and there's these thoughts, and I just really appreciate your willingness to go back and forth with me about this oh, stuff. No. And thank you so much for your curiosity and for bringing me the juicy questions as well. <laughs> yeah, right. really enjoyed Always. this conversation. <laughs> Always. Please tell the wonderful folks again how they can connect with you and the work you're doing. Uh, yes, they can connect with me via my website, jessicalagarde.com, or they can find me on womenofpsychedelics.org as well. Um, yeah, both websites they can see more of my educational work of my private work in organizing retreats and ceremonies uh for yeah all people 
Perfect. Jessica, thank you so much for your time and uh, be in touch. Thank you so much. See you next time. <laughs>